So we've made it to uh, verse 12 in our deep dive into this little book called Jude. So turning your Bibles to Jude, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 15 this evening. Lord, what a wonderful time of worship. And now I pray that we would have hearts, minds, ready to receive what you have for us from your word. So grateful for it. Nourish us, equip us, speak to each one of us, I pray. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you know, those of you who have been with us, there is a lot of space in this book devoted to describing false teachers. These false teachers and prophets that go into the local churches spreading false doctrine, leading people astray. Jude gives us lots of characteristics of these guys. He wants us to be aware of these guys. He wants us to identify them quickly because they can do great damage. False doctrine, false teaching can do great harm to individual Christians and to local churches. And so tonight, I want you to see the type of harm and damage that can come from false teaching. We're going to propagate a little list of the things that false teaching can do in your life. So look at me at verse 12. It says, these are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear. Serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. They are raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. They're wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now this is some very vivid, powerful poetry. In fact, this is some poetry that's some of the best in all of literature. And yet it's used to describe the way these false teachers can bring destruction. And I want you to notice, first of all, that false teachers can absolutely ruin Christian fellowship. They completely, they can completely derail Christian fellowship. It says at the beginning of verse 12, these are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. So the love feast, the agape feast, this was a very consistent practice of the early Christian church. The early Christian church was known for these love feasts. These were beautiful, beautiful times of fellowship. Very special gatherings. 
the local churches would get together and they'd share a meal together. Everyone would bring something, kind of like our potlucks. Everyone would bring a meal or part of some food and they'd share. Now, there would be wealthier members in the church. They'd be able to bring a lot more and there would be slaves in the church and they couldn't bring a whole lot, but everyone would bring what they could and they'd share it. They'd serve each other. They'd minister to one another. They'd take care of one another. Then after they ate together, they'd pray together. They'd worship. They'd have a time of teaching. Then they'd partake of communion together, the Lord's Supper. Just this beautiful, sweet time of fellowship. The closest example I can get from our church is our baptisms. Man, if you haven't been to one of our baptisms, you got to come. It's a big potluck. We get together. We do the baptism. We eat together. Just these beautiful moments of Christian fellowship. Well, the false teachers would be spots on those love fees. It says, verse 12, these are spots in your love fees. They'd stain it. They'd ruin it. This word translated spot is also used in ancient Greek language to speak of those hidden reefs and rocks just below the surface of the ocean. And sea vessels would come along. They wouldn't see it and it would shipwreck them. That's what these false teachers would do. They'd come into these beautiful fellowship gatherings, kind of hide there, and shipwreck shipwreck the whole deal now how would they do that well it says that while they feast with you without fear so they would participate they would join in the feast without fear a phobos without fear meaning without reverence without respect they'd behave irreverently shamefully it says also in verse 12 that they would be there serving only themselves or literally feeding only themselves. They were selfish, self-centered, self-promoting, taking care of self, self-serving people. And they just disrupt the whole fellowship. We could get some insight into this. The, the church in Corinth had a big problem at their agape feast. In fact, Paul wrote them a letter in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Their their agape feasts were a wreck. So people are bringing food, but they're not sharing it. Some are hungry, some are not. They're stepping ahead of each other. They're cutting in line. They're being selfish. It appears that they were turning the church into cliques, the have-nots and the haves, and they would be in their own little sections. They're getting drunk. It was an absolute 
train wreck in Corinth. And that's what these false teachers would do. They would come in and stain these precious moments of fellowship. They were self-centered. They were self-promoting. They were narcissistic. They wanted all the attention. By the way, selfishness ruins fellowship. Self-centered people in a church ruin fellowship. You do know that, right? There are the people in church, some of them, and, and, and there's these folks, and they just take and take and take and take. They're give me, give me, give me, give me. The person who wants all of the attention, the person who requires all of the time from church leadership, the person who wants to be catered to all the time. That creates problems in the church. Now, don't get me wrong. We should receive blessing in the church. I receive blessing at church. I hope you do too. But church should be a place of mutual blessing. It's not take, take, take. It's give, give, give. Church is a place where you serve, where you minister, where you invest. You put in. Not just take, take, take. Man, when you have a church where you have a bunch of unselfish people who love other people and serve one another, ooh, that's healthy. That's awesome. By the way, Jesus told us, as mentioned in Acts 20, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Did you know that? Did you know you're more blessed when you give than when you receive? But the false teachers, they take. They want all of the attention. Now, I want you to see something. It's very important here. It says, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. That word serving could also be translated feeding. It's actually the Greek word poimano, which is related to the word shepherd. So that's what false teachers do. They shepherd themselves. So this speaks of shepherds, pastors, leaders, who don't care about the people that they lead. They exploit them. They use them. There have been so many false prophets like that. And by the way, listen, if you ever run into a Christian leader who wants too much attention who wants the red carpet treatment, who wants all of this, you watch out. They've been around ever since the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, God said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? And he goes on to say, I'm going to remove those shepherds. And God says, I'll shepherd them. False teachers using church for their own benefit. Absolutely corrupting the fellowship. Listen, true Christian fellowship is centered around exalting Jesus Christ. Amen? The good shepherd. 
And true fellowship is comprised of Christians who serve one another and love one another, not wanting all the attention. So that is a terribly destructive thing that false teachers will do. They'll ruin Christian fellowship. Don't let them. Okay, secondly, false teachers will disappoint with empty promises. And I'll even put that stronger. False teachers will disillusion you with empty promises. It says in the middle of verse 12, they are clouds without water, carried about by the wind. So this is a very powerful picture. You're in a farming community. It's been a drought. The land is thirsty. The people have been crying out for rain. And then on the horizon, you begin to see this cloud develop. And it's getting bigger. And it looks like there's going to be so much potential for rain. And here it comes. And not a single drop. Big puffy cloud. Promising all this rain and not a single drop. That's what false teaching is. It's promise without performance. It's filling people's heads with unrealistic expectations. Now look exactly how it's put there. It's, it's in the plural. It says they are clouds without water carried about by the winds. So false teaching, you can think of it as a series of clouds blown by winds. And they come and they go and they look like they're going to rain, but there's never any rain. Paul warned us about that in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of of deceitful plotting. That's what false teaching is. Winds of doctrine. Trickery of man. Paul says, you be careful of all the winds of doctrine. Now, I've been a pastor for 25 years, and i got to tell you, I have seen so many different winds of doctrine blow through the church. I've seen them. All these phases, all these fads, Things that the church gets so excited about. And I'll tell you, some of it is downright dangerous. I remember when there was the big shepherding movement. And this was abusive spiritual leader where, where, where pastors would, would, you know, they'd tell you who you could date and marry and whether or not you could buy a house and how much money you had to give to the church. The shepherding movement, so dangerous. Promising, you know, real wisdom but wrecking people. I remember the Toronto blessing. Does anybody remember the Toronto blessing? Everybody go to Toronto. And everybody learn how to laugh in the spirit. And get drunk in the spirit. And all of this kind of stuff. It was a phase. It blew over. And you know what? It didn't deliver anything. Think about it. How does laughing in the spirit on Sunday help you with a difficult boss at work on Monday? What are you going to do? Laugh at them? You got to have character. You got to have something deeper. 
I remember all sorts of different things. And there's also a very dangerous doctrine. And this is a cloud that, that, that remains. It's been around for a long time. But, man, it makes so many promises. But it's so empty. And I will call it out. It is the prosperity gospel. This belief that if you're a Christian and you have enough faith, then you should never get sick. Then you should be rich. And you just name it and claim it. Call for whatever you want. Those are empty clouds without water. Those disillusion people. I can't tell you how many families we've had come to this church out of that movement. And they come to church disillusioned. We even had one family, they lost their mother. And this church had told them, well, if you'd have had more faith, your mother would have lived. Can you imagine that? Meeting this family, absolutely disillusioned with God. We thought we had enough faith, but we lost her. It's sickening. False teachers can mess you up here and here many different ways. Now, there have been other things that have blown through the church over the years, and some of these things can be good. They can be good. But I think sometimes the church can get too preoccupied. Do you guys remember Rick Warren's book years ago, The Purpose Driven Life? How many of you remember that book? The Purpose Driven Life. Great book. I read it. No big deal. I thought it was good. I recommended it to a few. And it, but there were churches that preached out of that book for a year. And then there was The Purpose Driven Life for Toddlers. The purpose-driven life for teenagers, for accountants, for athletes, and all of this. And it, it just it became this, you know what? It, it was okay. It's all right. You can get some stuff. There might be some rain, but it blew over. How many of you remember the prayer of Jabez? Man, that was a, it was a powerful thing. It was a great book. But I don't think it's like something that has to preoccupy all of a church's time. Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Jim Cimbala, one of the best books I've ever read. It really revolutionizes prayer life. But it can become something that preoccupies a church where you just focus on that. There can be some rain there. I'll tell you what. The best thing to do, what I've learned over the years, is just to consistently read and study the Bible. It won't disappoint Isaiah 55 says, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. This is a promise from God, my word. So shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Man. The Bible is a big, fat, juicy cloud full of rain that won't disappoint you. And you just stay consistent in that. False teachers will disappoint with empty promises. False teachers will also create fruitless lives. Verse 12, there are clouds without water. 
carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. So here you have this tree in autumn. It's supposed to be filled with ripe fruit. It's supposed to be ready. But it's not. There's no fruit on it. It's dead. Jude said it's twice dead, meaning it's dead above ground and dead below. The roots are dead. It's so dead that the wind came and blew it out of the ground. The the roots have been uprooted. Not even a stump is left as possible future source of life and growth. That's the picture of a false teacher. False teachers don't have any fruit. They don't live the type of life that God wants them to live. The fruit of their quote-unquote ministry is rotten. And by the way, Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that you can tell the difference between a good teacher and a false teacher by examining the fruit. He did tell us in Matthew chapter 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. These are the words of Jesus. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their what? Their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So false teachers, this is their life. And their doctrine produces lives like this. Please know that. If you buy into false doctrine, you'll become fruitless. God doesn't want you to look like that. God wants you to look like that. He wants your life to be fruitful. Now, when we talk about fruit... What do we mean? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The character of Christ being developed in you. The Holy Spirit working in your life so that you become more and more like Jesus day to day. That's fruit. The fruit of your lips, which is genuine praise and worship. The fruit of your life as far as... um, People coming to Christ through your example, through your testimony, that's fruit. God wants you to be fruitful. He wants your marriage to be fruitful, your family to be fruitful, your business to be fruitful, everything about your life to be fruitful. He wants the best for you. The false teachers, man, they put you on bunny trails. They get you off track. John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. The key to being fruitful is abiding in Jesus Christ, remaining in him, growing in him. Now the false teachers will try to get you away from Jesus, off track. No, you stay with Jesus. And then, of course, the word of God. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Oh, that should be us. Good, true doctrine leads to that. False teachers will totally trash that. So they'll ruin Christian fellowship. They'll disappoint with empty promises. They'll create fruitless lives. Not only do they create fruitless lives, they create superficial, shameful lives. They create superficial people. Look at verse 13. This is another such a powerful image. They're raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. These raging, angry waves, they look so busy, so powerful, there's so much activity. But what comes to the beach? Foam. Froth. Nothing of any substance. What else do these waves bring to the beach? Have you ever been to a beach after a storm? All those angry waves, they come and they leave behind driftwood, garbage, seaweed, rocks. That's what false teaching will produce. False teaching looks exciting. It looks very active. But it results in superficial people. Foam. Froth. Again, I'm going to pick on the prosperity gospel. That is, to me, that is one of the worst things out there. I've seen it do so much damage to people. But I can't think of anything more superficial than that. Come to Jesus, and if you have enough faith, you can get a brand new Porsche. Come to Jesus, and if you can have enough faith, you can claim by faith your perfect little rich American life. With no illness and no problem. That creates worldly Christians. That creates fleshly Christians. Oh, God is a genie. I can command God to do things by faith. It's superficial. False teaching will also cause you to become shameful. It will bring sin into your life. Remember we talked about these guys. They, one of their teaching was to... Uh, They would turn the grace of God into lewdness. So these people taught, look, hey, it's God of grace. Everything's cool. You can do whatever you want. And they encourage sinful living. Listen, you beware of any teacher that encourages sinful living. Any Christian teacher that downplays holy living. 
we are to be holy. We are to be men and women of God who are deep. And true teachers, cheap, they, they teach the deep word of God, that way down in the soul, that benefits you not only here, but for all of eternity. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. That's true doctrine. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And true doctrine leads to that. Peaceful waters. Beauty. Not foam. So false teachers, they ruin Christian fellowship, they disappoint with empty promises, they encourage fruitless lives, they produce superficial, shameful lives, they also generate a whole lot of confusion, man. The end of verse 13 says, they are wandering stars. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? False teachers are wandering stars. Now, what is Jude getting at? Well, you look at the star field. Do you remember uh, in ancient times, how did people navigate the oceans? What did they do? Did they pull out their GPS cell phone? Hey, Siri? (laughs) No. They navigated by the stars, didn't they? There were those fixed stars that showed up Every night, the North Star. False teachers are wandering stars. They mess up the navigation. Some think that Jude is speaking about a comet that flies across the air. By the way, that's a great picture of a false teacher. A big flash in the night. Big, brilliant, like a firework. You know when you're at the fireworks and you... And you go, wow, look at that. But then it's gone. They make a big splash. They're around for a little bit. You can't navigate by that. Very interesting. Wandering stars, that word wandering. It's the Greek word planetes. And guess what English word we get from? Planet. So some think that Jude was speaking about these these planets. So planets look like stars, right? But they wander across the star field. This is uh, Jupiter. It wanders across the star field, and I think that's over about three years. Not too bad. Neptune, over 16 years. It'll wander across. Mars is weird. There's Mars in one year. Loop-de-loop. Here's another way you can see it. Literally, that's what it 
dozen a year. It comes like this, around, and then goes up. So now imagine trying to navigate by that. Imagine the ancient world looking at that and going, what is that? Messes up the navigation. And see, this is what false teachers do. They just get you off track. Maybe not like a shooting star, but just, just off a little bit. Just get, a, get you to wander a little bit. But I'm telling you, if, even if you wander a little bit from the truth, man, it'll take you to places you never dreamed. In fact, pilots, they have what's called a 1 in 60 rule. And it's like this. If, if you're off one degree... Okay, if you're off one degree from the track that you think you're going, well, in 60 nautical miles, you'll be one nautical mile away from where you thought. And it increases like that for every degree. So let's say your track error is 15 degrees. After going 120 nautical miles, you'll be 30 nautical miles off track. Just little degrees off. And it can create all kinds of damage. On March 28, 1979, a sightseeing flight crashed into a mountain in Antarctica, killing all of the 279 people on board. An investigation determined that the crew had not been informed of a two-degree correction made to the plane's flight path the night before, causing the plane's navigation system to route them toward Mount Erebus instead of through McCurdo Sound. Two degrees. One degree. Gang, listen, just a little bit off. And that's what false teachers do. They like to take, they like to take the scripture and, and just give it a little twist. And it'll cause you to wander. The word of God, if you stick with it. The word is a lamp for my feet. It's a light on my path. True doctrine leads you in the right way. So the great damage that these false teachers do, they derail Christian fellowship. They'll disappoint with empty promises. They'll create fruitless lives. They'll create superficial, shameful lives. They'll generate confusion, mess up up your navigation for life. They'll also promote ungodliness. Look at verse 14. It says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they've committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Now here, this is the second time that many people believe that Jude quoted from an extra-biblical book. He may have quoted from a book of the Pseudopigrapha. I mentioned this last week, the book of Enoch. Or, it may be that the real Enoch 
was given this prophecy. We don't know either way. But either way, whether this was a natural prophecy that Enoch made way back then, or he's quoting from a secular book to reaffirm, to establish a well-known biblical doctrine and support, to reinforce that. Either way, the truth is, false teachers are ungodly. And they promote ungodliness. I, I just... Like five times that word ungodly is used in verse 15. Execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly. Among all of them, they're ungodly deeds. I mean, these people are ungodly. They commit ungodly deeds in ungodly ways, using ungodly words. The Greek word for ungodly is asibes, ah, without, sebamai, to worship. Without fear or reverence of God, godless. So this is a word that doesn't mean, you know, somebody who's not religious. But it, it, it speaks of someone who actively practices the opposite of what the fear of God demands. They just live their own way. Again, we saw earlier in the book, these are people who reject authority. They deny the Lord Jesus Christ, and the one true God. And their teaching, if you bite, will make you ungodly. And then perhaps the worst consequence for false teachers, judgment, divine judgment. They will be judged. Verse 14, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict them who are ungodly. There is coming a time when the false teachers, the false prophets, with their garbage and all of their attempts, there is coming a time when God will judge them. Jesus Christ is coming again. And there will be judgment. And I think that there are... are, uh, Details of that judgment found in the upper examples. I mean, that, that fruit tree is twice dead, uprooted. It speaks to me of, of uh, the second death. You know, the book of Revelation speaks about a second death. You know what the second death is? It's the spiritual death at the white throne judgment. When you are cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. False teachers are twice dead. They'll die physically and they'll die the second death. So that's why it's really important that you get born a second time. Born again. In fact, if you've never heard this, this is a very powerful thing. If you've been born once physically, you're going to die twice physically and spiritually. But if you've been born twice physically and spiritually, born again, then you're only going to die once physically to spend the rest of your life in heaven with the Lord. You won't face the second death. The second death. The end of verse 13 says that these guys are reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Hell will be a place of darkness forever 
a place of complete and total absence of light and God, a terrible place of judgment. So listen, the false teachers will be judged. And if you bite, if they lead you astray, you'll be judged. That's why they are so dangerous. And the stakes are so high. I thought of this verse. I thought of what Jesus said as I was thinking about this today. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's Satan. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So think about what Jesus offers. He offers to save you. He died on the cross for your sins, rose again, you put your faith, and he'll save you. And he'll put you into wonderful Christian fellowship. He'll give you promises that are full, not empty, that you can hold on to here and for all of eternity. He'll make your life fruitful. He'll make your life deep. He'll guide you. He'll lead you in the way of godliness. You'll be spared from judgment. That's what Jesus has to offer you. The devil and his agents. The false teachers. They've come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. They don't want you saved. They want to disrupt your fellowship. They want you fruitless. They want you superficial. They want you confused. They want you ungodly. And if you stay with them, they will take you into judgment. My brother, my sister in Christ, don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Don't go on any bunny trails. And and by the way, don't let that happen to your family members and your friends and the people that you know and work with. Don't hide the truth from them. Protect them. Give it your all. That is why Jude says, I wrote this book to tell Christians to contend earnestly for the faith. Fight for it. Fight for it. There's so much at stake. So huge, huge, important discipline for us as Christians is to make sure we've got a good grasp of truth. You make sure you're getting good, solid Bible teaching. There are false teachers out there, but there are also a lot of great teachers. Amen? But don't just rely on human teachers. You dig. You study. You learn. The Bible says we are to rightly divide the word of God. Keep knowing this. So you can share the truth with others and stay close to Jesus. Never get your eyes off him. Don't let these con artists hurt you or hurt others. Let's pray.
Lord, we're reminded tonight that there are enemies at work. There's an enemy that seeks to keep souls imprisoned, hurting, trapped, spiritually dead, hopeless, ungodly. And Lord, we're humbled tonight to know that many of our friends, many people that we know are caught in that. People we meet on the street are caught in that. And that we also know that you, you are the Savior. You are the truth. And we thank you tonight that you've opened our eyes. And I pray, Lord, that as your people, we would not take that for granted. We would contend earnestly for the faith, that we would, we would strive for good doctrine, to know it and how to communicate it, how to share it. Lord, I pray that you would make us fruitful. Make us different than others. Bring others into your kingdom through our lives, God. We thank you for your spirit, the spirit of truth, who seeks to lead people into truth. Lord, what an honor it is. What an incredible blessing it is to be able to say that once we were blind, but now we see. To be able to say that our eyes have been opened, that we've awakened, that you've saved our soul. And I pray, Lord, that would spread through our lives. I I pray we wouldn't keep that to ourselves. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here this evening or perhaps listening online right now. And the Lord has been calling you. The Lord has been calling you. He's been trying to get your attention. He's calling you into the truth. He's calling you out of darkness into the light. Out of the place of deception into truth. Surrender your life to him tonight. Don't hold back. Don't be stubborn. Embrace the gospel message. Jesus died on that cross for you and rose again that third day. His shed blood can wash away all of your sin. And he calls you to himself. Place your faith and trust in him right now. That might be you. You might be right here and you need to just pray a prayer like this in your heart. Just to cry out to God, Lord, save me. Just cry this out to him. Save me out of darkness. Bring me into your light. Open my eyes.
I receive you right now as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising again. I want to come into your family and fill me with your spirit and change me. Make my life fruitful for you. May the fruit abound from my life. May I live for you daily. In Jesus' name, amen.